Yes. We try to have our children participate in worship as much as possible. Um, and so it's always good to, see our ch- uh, to hear our children read the scripture uh, for the day. But um, our scripture actually covers uh, verses 60 all the way to not 69, but 71, uh, to the very end of the chapter, uh, chapter 6 of the book of John. So <clears throat> if you have your Bibles with you um, or your devices, or uh, if not, if you don't have either one, then there's a Bible right in front of you, Pew Bible. Uh, please turn your Bibles to uh, John chapter 6 as we read the entire, uh, the entire scripture or text designated for today. Um, we've been in, in this chapter for the last five, four weeks. This, will be the, this is the fifth week, and this is the culmination of, of the series and in, a, in about a few weeks' time, not next Sabbath, but sometime in September, hopefully by the beginning of September, I'll let, you, I'll let everybody know, we will be beginning a new series, and, um, and, uh, which is titled Life in the, not fast lane, but Life in the Last Lane, um, talking about, you know, the end times and what all these events that are, are transpiring in front of us mean, and, and more importantly even, how do we live our lives? What are the, the basic goals we ought to have for our lives and the attitudes and, and, uh, you know, that we, we ought to have and how we, how we uh, can live a vibrant and happy and a joyful life in the midst of uh, all the craziness that we, we, uh, we see around us and we hear around us talking uh, spe- especially about, you know, some recent events like um, the, uh, the massive four, 7.2 earthquake in Haiti, which killed hundreds, probably over a thousand poor souls, and uh, talking about the, the sudden and the, the terrific um, fall of Afghanistan. We've, are, you know, we, we fought a war, our country fought a war there for about two, 20 years, and as soon as we leave, the country falls, and it breaks my heart to see all of those people, especially the women and the children, whose freedoms are being snuffed out just like that. And, um, of course, the never-ending pandemic that nobody wants to talk about anymore because it's just, you know, I've had, we've, we've all had it. And we just wish all the, you know, all the, uh, um, you know, wish the pandemic to just go away. Can't you just go away? We want to live our lives. And, and, and so <clears throat> that is, you know, what we want to do is to explain from Scripture, you know, what this all means. Life in the last lane. Today we conclude our series from John chapter 6 about Jesus Christ talking about, initially he was talking to a large crowd, if you remember that, from the beginning of the chapter, which we started a few weeks ago. And um, it started out with Jesus Christ, you know, uh, with, with a large menacing crowd around him gathering and with many in the, within that crowd having an ulterior motive, something that Jesus Christ was not comfortable with, and they were following him, they were following him, and they wanted to make, they were watching to see what Jesus Christ would do. If it is true indeed that this mighty teacher does miraculous deeds, and then when, once Jesus Christ feeds the 7,000, or the 5,000, um, which actually only numbered the men, it was a lot more than 5,000, the feeding of the 5,000, it was a lot more because it did not include, the counting did not include the women and the children who were also there. How do we know that? Well, the, the, you know, the loaves of bread and the fish came from a boy himself. 
who offered what he had in Jesus Christ was able to do something miraculous and fed everyone. And, and as soon as that happened, this, this, you know, that menacing crowd you know, wanted to snatch Jesus and to forcibly make him king um, and with an, the ulterior motive. And their motive was, you know, we want to we go back to the good old days when we had manna for 40 years. How about manna 2.0? And we want someone who can provide us what we want and what we need. Um, and, and then after that, when Jesus Christ would not yield to their demands, Jesus Christ sneaks away and, and, you know, and, and in the dead of night crosses the, uh, uh, the, um, the, lake, the lake of Galilee and he walks on water. You, we all remember that story, right? He walks on water and um, he catches up to that boat where his disciples uh, were and he joins them and, and, and then they zoom, the, uh, you know, the, um, the story fast forwards to when Jesus Christ and his disciples, his, his core disciples, reach um, the other side, the western side, northwestern side of the, of the, the shores of Galilee, uh, the city, Jesus Christ's own city as an adult um, the city of Capernaum. And there, as he, you know, he encounters a smaller crowd. And predominantly, crowd was the church crowd. And that church crowd could not accept who Jesus Christ was. He, was, he kept telling them, I am the bread of life. If you eat me, if you eat my, my, you know, my, my flesh, and if you, uh, if you uh, drink my blood, he kept saying that. He kept saying that. And they, would not, they could not accept his word. I mean, if somebody were to say that to you today, you would say, you're nuts, get out of here, or something like that. And, of course, you know, that smaller crowd, tougher crowd in a, in a sense, because they thought they knew Jesus Christ. Isn't this Joseph's son? We've known him since he was a little boy. He was running around, you know, with the, the, the little boys and little girls playing. And what else, what else does this guy have to offer that we don't know about? He couldn't be any more special than, we, than, than uh, you know, he's Joseph's son. Mom and dad, we knew his mom and dad, this guy is not special. He is an ordinary lad. And then, and then from there, from the large crowd to the church crowd, Jesus Christ now, both those disappear, you know, disappear. And as we come Closer to the end of the chapter, now Jesus Christ is left with only his disciples. And now Jesus Christ, as he's, he's off, he often did, he now reveals openly to them wh wh why he was speaking in, 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 such, in such crazy way as he was speaking. When he says, I am the bread of life, um, and, and so on and so forth. It's hard to listen to someone who's not making sense who does not seem to be speaking your language. Struggled to listen not too long ago about the ramblings of a man who needed something from me and, and, and either that or, or I give the person money to go get it. And then after, uh, you know, after, after uh, a few minutes, a lengthy conversation ensues uh, and then this, this person uh, you know, goes through, uh, rambles on about, you know, uh, about Different things that are incoherent. I mean, they're so in, uh, unconnected. I was, having, I was starting to have a little bit of a headache trying to follow where he was going with this conversation. And I mean, with, with, with what he was talking about. It was lengthy. It was confused. And anywhere from, you know, uh, 
uh, theology to a love triangle and cloak and dagger and a cross-country journey. And I'm, I'm like, so what, um, uh, it, it's like a sermon. He's like having a sermon and he doesn't know how to land that sermon like I do sometimes. Not know how to land a sermon. Um, I'm like, and, and this, this was happening. This was happening and I'm like, it's late in the day. It's Friday. It's Friday and I have a sermon to preach. And I, you know, so politely I tried to say, you know, I, I need to get going. I need to go because I got a sermon to preach and I must go. It's hard to listen to someone who rambles on. It doesn't make sense. And in our, in our scripture today, in our scripture today, our passage today, Jesus is the one that's rambling. At least, at least uh, in the eyes of some of his disciples. He's rambling on like a fool. Would not stop. And, and, and not only would not stop, kept doubling down on his language. I am the bread of life. Can you not see? I am the bread of life. And so on. And he, he doubles down and says, eat my flesh. Drink my blood and you will see what I mean. And, and so, um, um, you know, in our scripture passage today, Jesus, Jesus Christ, at least to some of his disciples, he's the ram, that rambling fool whose words had become deeply offensive to them, who is no longer worthy of their allegiance. In fact, you might wonder where I got this title from. Well, I got this title from, from, their, you know, from verse 60 that was read to us by Lisa today. Because really, literally, that's what the, the, the sentence says when it says, this is a hard saying. This is a hard saying. What, what they're really saying is that, what, what, you know, literally what they're saying is this word is harsh. This word is rigid, unyielding. These words are incoherent. How in the world could you expect us to follow you when you talk to us like this? And that word and that word that, that it's used there is the same word for, well, scleros, which is the word we, uh, we which is where we got the word scler, uh, uh, you know, sclerotic. That's not a, that's not an everyday word, is it? Hard, something dry. This word they said, there's, this word is dry. It's, it's like dry bones. It's got no life in it. More, I mean, uh, even more, much more. It's crazy. Is the ramblings of a madman. And so they were, they, they were offended by Jesus, by his word. And despite Jesus explaining himself, they ended up walking away from Jesus. What a sad story it is. So this is the story, this is the, um, this is what we, um, what we have in front of us. Um, uh, before, you know, uh, Jesus has been, had been, of course, had been talking about remaining in him, remaining me and I and you and so on and so forth. That's, that was in the last, uh, last week's chapter, uh, I mean, uh, uh, talk or sermon of what it will take uh, to remain in Jesus, the complex, the complex spiritual dynamics that would cause you, by the grace of God, to remain in Jesus. What would it take to remain in Jesus but his words went over their heads and through their hearts. So finally, now that the larger menacing crowd that wanted him a king so that he could feed them for 40 years or more 
or that smaller crowd who couldn't get over the fact that they thought they knew him like the back of their hand because he grew up in their midst. Those people were gone. Now what's left are his disciples. The larger crowd, I mean the larger, you know, the unnamed larger disciples, and in the midst of those, the twelve. Now Jesus Christ, Christ explains himself plainly, but it is clear even before we read our passage here, that he's already lost quite a few of them. He's already lost quite a few of them. They've already given up on Jesus Christ. Do you know anyone who has given up on Jesus Christ who now finds his words scandalous? Because that's the word that's actually used, scandalizo. They were scandalized by his words. He's already lost them even before he begins explaining And they had already been scandalized. So now this is the background we have. Now it's time to open your your Bibles with, with you. And let's read the entire length of our scripture for today. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Or, this word is chlorotic. Who can listen to it? Or, who can accept it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about him, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Are you scandalized by this? Then what if I were to see, but what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he he was before? Is it the Spirit, or it is the Spirit who gives life? The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe, and who it was who would betray him. Verse 65. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. In fact, it should say, the devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Jesus wants you and me to remain in him. He wants you and me to be his, to remain his disciples. And every single one of you that are here today, I would assume, are disciples of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, what would be the reason why you're here? Jesus wants all of us to be his disciples and to remain his disciples. But how do we do that? How do we prevent ourselves from being so um, scandalized by some of the things that Jesus Christ said? And, and this, is, you know, this is really what this text is trying to get at here. And there are three things, three things, three quick things, as having read now the, uh, the, our scripture for today, that is plain to see in, in, this, in this passage. Three things that, that can be done in partnership, of course, with God, always through the grace of God by the Spirit, that can be done in order for us, to you, for you and me, to not simply walk away, 
to not to, to become so detached from the word of Jesus Christ that they become they have they become not only foreign to us but also offensive to us. And the first thing that, that's mentioned in the text is that if you really want to remain in Jesus Christ, then we must see, we must see the spiritual nature of his word. And word in general, you know, Scripture says that the word, uh, I mean, word, it's through the word of God that the world came to be. You know, word is a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. What's, what's, the, what's the saying that says, sticks and st- stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? That's a lie. Words can hurt you because word is a lot more powerful than meets the eye. There is a spirituality about the, every word that is said that carries it from our mouth to the other person, to the, to the mind and to the heart of the person, either, either destroying that person or transforming that person. And we are, we're not going to be able to, be, to remain as disciples of Jesus Christ unless his words to us start to come alive from the pages of Scripture to the inner sanctum of our hearts. And how that is communicated according to, according to what Jesus Christ is uh, started to say. It is only it's communicated through the presence of the Holy Spirit in his Jesus life, in Scripture, to you and me. Seeing the spiritual nature of Jesus' word in particular, and seeing the spiritual nature of every word in general. Listen, look what happened here when, um, um, you know, when, when everyone, the, the larger crowd, from the larger crowd to the smaller crowd, and now to the even smaller crowd of the disciples, how they could not understand Jesus' words. And Jesus Christ is saying, you know, is, is, you know starts to explain to them, listen, I'm not talking about my literal flesh and blood that you must eat. Listen to my word. Get behind it. Get behind it. And understand what I'm trying to tell you. And through the presence of the Holy Spirit, you know, he says in verse 63, it is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is not help at all. It's no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you, they're spiritual and they're life-giving. So you, we must be able to understand that. But how, you say, well, how do you do that? How do you do that? Which comes, now, now comes the next, the, next, the next thing that Jesus Christ says. Well, how do you do that? Well, by eating his words as if your lives depended on it. By eating his words as if our lives depended on it. Of course, the analogy of eating here is nothing new in Scripture. We, you know, there are several places, several places in Scripture that uh, we, we see this, right? And the analogy is not lost to us. I mean, it's, it's very easy to, to, to really to conceptualize what that means, to eat, to eat something. But anyway, I want to uh, point out just a couple of places here. And I want you to uh, keep your uh, finger on uh, um, our passage here today and go back to Jeremiah chapter 15. Um, Jeremiah chapter 15, and here you find, you know, echo, an echo of what Jesus Christ uh, means to say when he says, you must eat my word as if your life depended on it. 
How many times do we eat a day? Too many times for me. Nobody can eat once in their lifetime and survive. You must eat consistently. And you're not going to be able to eat unless you understand the nature of Jesus' word, words. And unless you're willing to eat him on a regular basis. Here we find in John, Jer- Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16, these powerful words uh, from the lips of the, the prophet Jeremiah. He says, um, your words were found, he says. Your words were found, and I ate them. Uh, he actually says, I gobbled it up. Not just, you know, like how my cat eats. No, I, you know, my cat, uh, let me tell you about my cat, Itty Bitty. By the way, the name Itty Bitty is, is, is no longer true to, to, to my cat today. She's no longer Itty Bitty. It speaks about her past, how Itty Bitty she was, and now she's ballooned. So she's, she's no longer Itty Bitty. She's Itty Biggie. Um, but um, Itty Bitty, when she was, uh, and she's only six months old or seven months old or something like that, so she's not that old yet, and she's still full of a lot of play. Um, but somehow she took to eating or liking the eggs that we would cook for breakfast. Every time she smells eggs, she goes crazy. And she's worse than a begging dog. She thinks herself as a dog, I think, because she begs all the time. But she's worse than a begging dog. Why? Because she can claw up my leg and go up to my plate and take the food that I don't want to give her. And she does that all the time, my itty-bitty. And itty-bitty and, and eggs. And she couldn't, you know, and she, you know she, she, whenever she smells eggs, she wants to just gobble it up and she wants to eat it. And, and here we have the picture of what Jesus Christ means. When, he's, when, when the prophet Jeremiah says, your words were found, I found them, and I gobbled, it out, gobbled them up, and your words beca- became, became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. <laughs> you not only must understand the nature, the spiritual nature of word, and that word, how that word uh, gets lodged in your heart and in your mind, and how the Spirit takes that word and just transforms you from the inside out. You know, uh, that's Jesus and that's His word. Not only are you supposed, it, it is not a passive thing. If you're not constantly and consistently desiring His word for food, One of these days, you're going to end up not only becoming unfamiliar to his word, you will find his word to be how some of his disciples found it. When Jesus Christ started saying crazy stuff, they could not get over it because their mindset, their worldview had become so different. And it's, you know, and, and God's word, Jesus' word has become foreign. Another text, and I'm going to stop with this one text, it's found in Revelation chapter 10, verse 9. We know that text very well as Adventists. You know, we, you know, we, uh, we know the book of Revelation like it's the back of our hands, right? Here's a joke that you've heard me said before. There were 10 Adventists inside a room and there were 11 interpretations. That's how much we love the book of Revelation, right? And here in Revelation uh, chapter 10, Revelation chapter 10, verse 9 and following, we have the same echo as we've seen in Jeremiah chapter 15. 
Verse 9, so I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter. There needs to be some some rearranging God needs to do in the inner sanctums of our hearts. When you receive the word of God, it will not always be pleasant. Why? Because the order of your life is unpleasant. There are sins in your life that need to be expunged. It It will be bitter in there. But keep eating it. Keep eating it because, as, you know, when, when God, through the Holy Spirit, as you keep ingesting the Word of God, then you will start to see that the Word of God and the structure of your, of your life start reflecting each other. And when that happens, the Word of God becomes sweeter. It gets sweeter and sweeter and sweeter in your heart, in your belly, in your stomach, wherever, whatever, wherever it is, in your life. But unless you're ingesting it, this bittersweet experience can never be, can never happen to you. Take it and eat it, and it will take your stomach, make your stomach bitter. But in your mouth, it will be sweet as honey. And John says, who wrote the book of Revelation, and I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it in my stomach, it was bitter. It made me so bitter. I wanted, I wanted to just, you know, ugh. So on. And Jesus explained that not only must we understand the spiritual nature of his word, we must ingest it by the grace of God. Or we will be scandalized. Sooner or later, you will start getting scandalized by his word. Why? Because you will become so different from it. Your life will become so foreign to it. And then eventually what will be, you will have no reason to stay. These are difficult days, not just for us, for, for us um, individually, but for us corporately as a, as a church. With COVID bearing down on us, it's very hard sometimes to, you know, to, to keep this, the word, you know, alive in our hearts. And, 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 and by the way, the best way to, do, uh, to keep the word uh, alive in your heart, it's not just to do it, to do it in the privacy of your, of your, own, of your own closet. It's to do it corporately in the church. The culmination of all your studying, the culmination of all of the spiritual exercises that you, you, you do every day of the week is here. And I'm not saying that just so I could look good in a, in a uh, uh, full church. No. Worship, Sabbath worship, hear me out. I know how difficult it is. And for those of you that are listening to us on our live stream uh, today, yes, we love, it's, it's very, it's good to have you, but we'd like to have you here. Here. There's something transformative about church that when you're sitting with somebody you barely know who is older or who is not like you, whose perfume you don't like, there's something transformative about that when everybody here that you haven't seen all week and then you're here and you're worshiping, there's something transformative about church. No, church is not Church is not an accident. Church is not an incidental portion of your spiritual life. 
It is the, an integral part of our lives. So every time, every time I see that you're not here, because generally, you know, we're all creatures of habits, I know where you're sitting, I look for you. I look for you. Because I know that's what, that's what God is doing as well. Unless we persist in meeting together. You know, what this COVID has revealed to all of us is that um, we are each other's keepers. We really are. And your absence here hurts my spirituality. My absence here hurts yours. But our presence here help all of us to go from glory unto glory and rejoice and bask as we rejoice and bask in the presence of the Lord. And each of us has, you know, we all have a, um, a, 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 a part to play. Let me tell you about what I think is one of the things that the school can do to help our children so that when the week is out, I mean, the school week is over, the church are energized about, I mean, the, the, the children are energized about church. Are you ready to listen? This is not a, uh, a lecture. This is, these are so, just some thoughts that come to me. Some of the ruminations that I've, you know, that I've, I've thought about for, for quite some time, and I've struggled to see how I can communicate this and communicate how much we love our, our school and our teachers and everything like that. But the church, I mean the school, must never become the entire world of our children. Much of their time must be left for church, where they are, so, where they are not so run down that all they want to do is stay home. I will say no more. And what can we do as parents? Parents, lead in your family devotion. Feed your family with the word of God every day. So that when they come to church at the end of the, of, the, of, the, of the week, when they come to church, they're not gobbling up and throwing it up because you know, they haven't eaten all week. How would you like to fast six days and then all of a sudden eat at church, gobbling up everything the pastor says? You will not be able to do it. You'll puke it out. Why? You haven't been eating all week. Sabbath, church, our time here together, is the culmination is the highlight of our week if, been, if we have been steadily ingesting the word of God. All right, enough of that. <laughs> enough of that. Um, the last thing here that Jesus Christ tells us is, you know, I'm, I'm sure, uh, bear, bear with me, there's lunch for, uh, lunch for the weary, uh, for the faculty and staff and family anyway, uh, today as a, as a part of their... Um, it's part of their um, honoring today, our honoring them today. 
Um, but to remain in him, this is the last one, okay? To remain in him, um, uh, let's see, let me see, where's my note? Okay, uh, what I say, the second one is to eat his words as if our lives depended on it, all right? And, and the third one is um, by coming to him with no agenda of our own. No agenda of our own. You know, in this text, um, in, in, in our text, John chapter 6, there are, Jesus Christ describes two kinds of disciples of his um, who, who came to him, those that, 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 that left and those that stayed. Um, so, so the first kind of disciples are those uh, that um, uh, came to Jesus with ulterior motives. They came to Jesus out of their own independent will. And they came to Jesus with, you know, with their own set of expectations as to what they need, as to what they want, and what Jesus Christ ought to be saying, and et cetera, et cetera. And, and then these were the ones that wanted to control Jesus, who wanted, who wanted Jesus to pander to their wishes. And when Jesus Christ did not bend to their will, and they realized, and then they started, they started taking his words, you know, uh, uh, get, getting scandalized by his words, and sooner, sooner or later they left. Those are the ones that are typified by these disciples that left Jesus Christ. They came on their own. They did not come to, to Jesus Christ because simply they were prompted by the grace of God and they had, nothing, they had nothing to contribute to it except to just go to Jesus with no hidden agenda, ulterior motive than to just go and let Jesus dictate to you what ought to be done in your life. There are those, that's the that's first one, those, those um, disciples that go to Jesus Christ out of their own will. Human effort, unaided by the, work, by, by the Spirit of God, will never cause you to stay. It may cause you to go to Jesus, but it will not cause you to remain in Jesus. Why? Because that will of yours needs to be rearranged. It's, it's not only is it weak, it's wicked. It needs to be rearranged. It needs to be, it needs to be bathed with the presence of God. And then there's the second, the second uh, um, disciples, a kind of disciples, are those who come to God because they, John, uh, John says, because, or yes, uh, John says, because they have been led there by the Father himself. That is to say, you know, they, they're there out of the sheer, sheer um, joy of being in the presence of, of God. By coming to Him with no agenda of our own, we realize that coming to faith is never really a human effort driven thing, but it is always grounded in and prompted by, not by the autonomous will, but by the grace of God. That's what Jesus Christ meant when he says, the Father led them to me. Two kinds of people. Two kinds of people. Which one are we going to be? Years ago, when I was a pastor in another church, there was a man who, um, who was struggling with his faith uh, with Jesus, he, you know, he, he, was, he was one of those disciples that we read about here. 
Um, and I spent a lot of time with this, with this person trying to help him out because he could no longer accept. He was scandalized by a lot of what Jesus Christ said in Scripture. And he was making all sorts of rationalizations about what they meant. He didn't really mean that. That's what, that's, you know, that's, that's what uh, the writers thought he meant. And it's not really what he meant. And Jesus Christ is really not Savior of the world. He didn't probably even die. And stuff like that. And then, you know, I, I struggled with him because he, he kept coming to my Sabbath school every week. And, of course, when you have somebody in the Sabbath school where everybody's a believer and you, and you have one as a skeptic, um, your Sabbath school tends to, you know, get skewed around the, you know, the questions of the skeptic. And so that's fine after a while. I, uh, but after a while, it, it becomes, you know, when, when, it, when it becomes kind of, you, you keep rehashing that, you know, th- those doubts. So one day, um, I spoke with him uh, and, and this was, was one Sabbath afternoon. And um, I, remember, I remember to this day where we were, and, and it was right underneath that huge tree in the middle of the church's playground. And it was just me and him, me and him. And for the first time, after so many times we've, we've spoken, he finally confessed as to what was driving these doubts. And he said to me, you know, Pastor, I have to admit to you that I've always loved how my mind is able to think things through and able to figure things out. And then he finally realized, he stops himself and he says, you know, I realize, I think, my, I, think I know my, what my pro- your problem is. I said, I know what your problem is. Pride of your own ideas, that you think your ideas are all that and a bag of chips, and that your ideas are better than Jesus' own ideas about himself. And that you are unwilling to submit to his own ideas because you think yours is better than his. That's your problem. Why you wouldn't come to Jesus Christ? He's become foreign to you somehow. And his words have become sclerotic to you. And for a few seconds, a few seconds, I thought I was, able, I, was, I was breaking through. And I thought he was going to submit. I thought he was going to submit. And actually, he did that time. He did. But then he got wrapped up with a bunch of people who were, who were fighting the church at that time. That church, it was a very divided church. And he, get, he, get, he got, to, you, know, you know, he became part of that group that eventually left the church. And I lost him. And I couldn't, I couldn't finish up what we, the conversation that went so well that day when he finally submitted, or at least admitted, confessed freely that he needs to, sub, he needs to subordinate his own thoughts to the thoughts of Jesus. And to this day, I don't know what's happened to him. I don't know where he is. I don't know if he's still a disciple of Jesus Christ. Don't be like this person. And we don't have to be because Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Anyone who eats me and drinks my blood will have eternal life. So what are you waiting for? Eat him. Eat him like you'll never have another meal And do it every day.
your word come alive to us in every way. Give us the strength, the courage, the time to eat Jesus, to drink him, and through the power of the Spirit be transformed in the inner parts of our hearts. Lord, we are unable to do it on our own. We don't want to come to you with only our efforts. Make us come to you, O God. Draw us to you through your Spirit. And transform us from the inside out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.